Now remember, I'm talking to you about not only the third Pentecost, I'm talking to you about this perichoresis and how it has to work, how the dance has to finish. You cannot finish the dance until you pull everybody into the joy. You cannot finish the dance until you pull everybody into the love dance. And God's not finished. God has poured out the Holy Spirit, but he's gonna keep pulling out the Holy Spirit. And as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit twirl by you, they might just grab you by the hand and invite you into a dance that you didn't even know you were gonna be invited into. So what you see is something that the Holy Spirit is doing by himself. Now last week we talked about the difference in when God does something through the anointing and when God does something through glory. When God does something through the anointing, he uses the gifts of men. When God does something through glory, he does not lean on the gifts of men, he does it all by himself. God does it all by himself. So understand this. Now, I wanna show you I'm gonna show you several examples of this third Pentecost, all right? So the first one is if you look at the outpouring of Pentecost from a Jewish perspective. So if we're looking at it from a Jewish perspective, the first thing we're gonna see is Mount Sinai because that was the given of the law. That's, what, that's when they celebrate Shavuot, which is, which is what we just celebrated, right? So when you're celebrating Shavuot, Shavuot, and I'll tell you in a moment what all that, what all that stands for, because it actually, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go into a teaching in just a moment and explain that more. But you, you see Mount Sinai as the first Pentecost, and from a Jewish perspective, you see the day of Pentecost as the second Pentecost, and then, we see a final outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, Jewish people aren't necessarily looking for that. They're looking for a great resurrection and the coming of Messiah, all right? So from a Jewish perspective, we would see the the Mount Sinai, day of Pentecost, and the final outpouring. But from a Christian perspective, we see it differently. We see the church being born on the the day of Pentecost. That was when we were birthed. So, So turn to your neighbor and say, happy birthday. All right, so this is our birthday. So the church was born on, on, on Pentecost, and then we saw a worldwide outpouring of the Holy Spirit in 1906 in Azusa. All right, so, so even what Dr. Nico is referring to is the day of Pentecost and the Azusa outpouring, and now they believe that a third outpouring has come to the earth, which is the final outpouring of God. So either way you look at it, if you count Mount Sinai, or if you don't count Mount Sinai, it still ends up being three. So if you count Mount Sinai and Pentecost, there's another one that still awaits. If you count, if you count, Pentecost, the day of Pentecost and Azusa outpouring, there is still a final outpouring that awaits. So let me go to the very first prophecy that prophesied the third outpouring. Remember, we're still talking about perichoresis. So we're talking about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So let me take you to the very first prophecy in the Bible that tells us there's, a, there's a, uh, an outpouring coming. This is found in the book of Genesis chapter eight the book of Genesis chapter eight. This is when Noah sent out his dove. Now look at this. He also sent out from himself a dove to see the waters had receded from the face of the earth. Go to the next verse, if you will. But the dove found no resting place. Everybody say no resting place. 
no resting place for the soles of her foot, and she returned to the ark, for the waters were on the face of the earth. So he put out his hand and took her and drew her into the ark unto himself. Okay, the first flight of the dove, the dove is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. The first flight of the dove represents how God worked in the Old Testament. There was no resting place. He did not have a place to dwell, so he would light upon people and leave, light upon them and leave. He would come, the Spirit of the Lord would come upon them, they would prophesy, and then he would leave. But he could not dwell inside of them yet. But look at the second flight of the dove. So then you get into the second flight of the dove and go and put those scriptures up there, if you will, guys. And he waited yet another seven days. Everybody say seven days. That's important. God's about to complete something on the earth. So he's showing you that a season of completion has come. He didn't say he waited five days. He didn't say he waited 10 days. He used the prophetic emblem so we would understand this. That was a season that was over. Now we're entering a second season. He waited yet another seven days. And again, he sent out the dove from the ark. Look at the next verse. And then look what happens. Then the dove came back in the evening, and behold, a fresh plucked olive leaf was in her mouth, and no one knew that the waters had receded from the earth. The second flight of the dove revealed something. There was a place to land. And what did he bring back? An olive branch, which is the symbol of Israel, which is a prophecy that when the Holy Spirit finds a place to land, it will happen in Israel. What happened in Acts chapter 2 in Jerusalem, Israel? The Holy Spirit, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, tongues of fire set down upon each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. The Holy Spirit found a place to land. So the first prophecy says there's one moving of the Holy Spirit, but there's no place to land. The second one says he's going to find a place to land in Israel. That's the second moving of the Holy Spirit. But that's not how the story ends. There is yet one more flight of the dove. Keep looking. He says in the next verse, look, look at what he says in the very next verse. So he waited what? Another seven days. That means that the sea season of anointing, the times of the Gentiles, the times of the church are going to come to a, a time of completion, and then God is going to step his big foot on the scene of the earth and show out in a way we've never seen God show out. God's going to show up and do something that only God can do. It will not be the songs we sing. It will not be the musicians we have. It will not be the preachers that are preaching. God is going to come down in glory and do something that is impossible for a preacher to do. Impossible. When we begin to usher in glory through prayer and worship, the glory of God is going to come down all by himself. Hallelujah. So he waited another seven days and sent out the dove, which did not return again to him anymore. You know what opened next? You know what happened after that dove did not return? The door opened. And they walked out, and a covenant appeared. 
You know, I, I, you'll hear me say this over and over the longer you hear me preach, but we only get half of the promise, right? Because in heaven, a rainbow's a circle around the throne of God. It's a, it's a complete circle. God only gave us half, and he keeps the other half. It's like a friendship bracelet or a friendship, you know, it's like that broken heart thing. God says, as long as you have that half, I've got the other half. I'm not a man that I can lie. When the dove flies again, it's going to be a covenant moment. When the dove flies again, the door is going to open that no man can shut. When the dove flies again, they're going to be going out into the ar from the ark of safety into a brand new world. Then you get to number eight, new beginnings. God says when the dove flies again, all things. Things are going to be made new, and you're going to see the power and glory of God in this earth. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Now, listen, that's only the first prophecy. We haven't even, we're just in the introduction. I mean, oh, we're, we're just getting started. This is only the first prophecy of the, the perichoresis. So turn to your neighbor and say, that's a perichoresis. It's the dance of the Trinity. It has to happen full circle. You can't have two. In order for it to be a divine move, there has to be three. God wants to pull you into the dance. He wants to pull you into the joy. He wants to pull you into the dance of love. All right, so let's, let's go to Mount Sinai. All right, so because on the day of Pentecost, Jewish people are are celebrating the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai. So many people would call that the first Pentecost. Does that throw off this pattern? Absolutely not. So let me show you what happened on Mount Sinai. So let's go to Exodus chapter 19, and I'm just gonna read this. So turn there in your Bibles. I don't, I don't know if they have all this on the screen or not, but uh, it's quite long, so I'm gonna read it for you. We're gonna start in verse nine. So Exodus 19 and nine. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, I come to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. So Moses told the, told the words of the Lord to the people and the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes. Let them get ready for what? The what day? The third day. Everybody say third day. God says, I'm establishing a pattern here, a perichoresis. I want them to get ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down. On the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of the people. You should set bounds for the people all around, saying, take heed to yourself that you do not go to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow, whether man or beast, he will not live. So God is establishing this holy parameter, all right? Then the trumpet sounds long, they shall come to the mountain. So Moses went down to the mountain, told the people and sanctified them. They washed their clothes and he said, be ready for what? The third day. Everybody shout, third day. Be ready for the third day. Do not come near your wives. Then it shall come to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings, lightnings, and thick clouds on the mountains, and the sound of the trumpet was very long so that the people in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and he stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai, look at this, verse 18. Now Mount Sinai was fully, was was completely in smoke because the Lord ascended upon it in fire and smoke ascended. So what do we have on the day of, what do we have here at Mount Sinai? We have fire on the mountain. 
we have the wind of God and the ascension of God, and now we have thunderous voices. Now, this is very important. He said, and it burned like a great furnace. The whole mountain quaked greatly. All right, so I told you I was going to explain Shavuot to you. Now, Shavuot basically has three descriptions. And you can talk to any Jewish person. If you listen, go talk to Bill Cloud, go talk to any rabbi, they're going to tell you. There's three parts of Shavuot. First of all, it is called the wheat harvest, okay? And that's important if you understand the parable of the wheat and the tares. So the barley represents Israel. The wheat represents the church. So if you see what happens at the end of the age when Jesus comes to separate the wheat and the tares, this is not a barley harvest. This is what? A wheat harvest. He's talking about the church. It is the celebration of a wheat harvest. Secondly, it's the celebration of the giving of Torah, which is the giving of the word of God. And then finally, it's the celebration of Pentecost, which was the Holy Spirit that came down. All right, so understand this. So here are some connections. In both places, the same thing happened. They happened differently because one was in an upper room which was confined with 120 people. The other was a whole mountain that looked like it exploded. But here's the three things, perichoresis, here's the three things that happened on the, on the mountain. The wind blew, the fire came, and then there were voices. You think, no, I'll, I didn't hear that part about voices, and I know God's gonna speak, but I wanna show you something. So when you get to, go put up this slide that has to do with thunder, all right? So when you read the word thunder in Hebrew and all the other places, you're gonna read the word raham, all right? Raham is how you say thunder in Hebrew. But on Mount Sinai, the word raham is not used. On Mount Sinai, it's not the word thunder, it's the word kol. And the word kol means voices. It says that voices were heard. Now, if you hear a rabbi teach on this, this is what, I'm just gonna quote one of them. So just listen, this is how Jewish people teach what happened on Mount Sinai. This is, I'm quoting Rabbi Yochanan. This is, uh, and I can give you the actual the actual reference for this if you need that, but uh, this, is, this is actually in Jewish writings in the Midrash. When God's voice came forth at Mount Sinai, it divided into 70 human languages so that the whole world heard him at the same time. All at Mount Sinai, young, old, men, women, and infants, according to their ability to understand God, heard him speak. They're saying, that the word that has been translated as thunder, that what the children of Israel actually heard was voices. What happened on the day of Pentecost? The fire came, the sound of wind blew, and they heard the voices. Not only did they hear the voices, they heard 15 countries are mentioned in Acts chapter two that were present, and all of them heard the wonders of God. They weren't quoting scriptures. They were talking about healings and miracles and the glory and the power. They were speaking about the wonders of God in 15 languages. Can I give you a secret here? That if you will pray in your prayer language, I know you, when I say this, you're gonna shake your head like, this is not gonna work, but I promise you it will. I can't, the only explanation I have, I can explain this through Gematria, and I can explain this through these 15 nations that are mentioned in Acts. But if you will pray in your prayer language for 15 minutes, your language will change. You'll get a new language. 
If you will not stop, if you will pray in your prayer language for 15 solid minutes, you time it, set a timer, look at your watch. When that clock rolls around to 16, you will get a new prayer language. Another language will start coming out of you. When I first heard somebody say that, I thought, there's no way that is true. I thought, surely I'd done that many times, but I guess not. And so I timed it, man. I mean, I went up into my prayer closet and I timed it and I was waiting to see what would happen. And I prayed in my prayer language for 15 minutes. I was disciplined. I'm not kidding you. When it hit 16, there was like, I, I can only describe it as a Native American tongue that came out of me. Something completely shifted that was so different from whatever language I normally speak. It was like a Native American tongue. I had no idea what I was saying, but I was hanging in there, man. I prayed in that tongue. I sang in it. I prayed in that tongue for 15 minutes. And whenever I, whenever that 15 minutes was over, I shifted to another one, which sounded more like something from Asia. It sounded more like an Asian tongue to me. And I hung, I hung with it for, 50, for 45 minutes. I wish I could have stayed longer, but I'm telling you, man, that's as long as I lasted that time. But I promise you, it happens. If you pray in your prayer language for 15 minutes, and it might be because, and I can explain it another time when I have a little bit more time about gematria and how that works, the number system of the Hebrew letters. But all you need is the proof of the day of Pentecost because there's 15 languages. See, sometimes we only want half a Pentecost. You know the reason that more people do not see the gifts of the Spirit working is because they only use them at church. Thank you so much for supporting our ministry. If this has blessed you, please say a prayer for us. And if you would like to give, we have four ways that you can do that. You can give online at briancutshaw.com or if you're a PayPal user, just PayPal us at Church Trainer. Or you can also give through the mail at P.O. Box 267, Georgetown, Tennessee, 37336. Or if you're a Venmo user, you can Venmo us also at Church Trainer. Thank you, and God bless you, and may the Lord multiply your seed. Now back to Hope in the Word. That's the problem. They only, get, they only use their spiritual gifts when they get in the holy huddle. Try using them on the street, and you'll see a whole new level. You, you try witnessing to somebody. Lay hands on somebody in Food City and see what happens. I promise you, that's a whole different way of ministry. When you start doing what they did on the day of Pentecost, when, when Wayne, Wayne, Wayne is actually taking his prayer team to the Greenway. We already have, we already have a permission. He is setting up a lemonade stand and a prayer stand on the Greenway in Cleveland, and people are coming there to get lemonade and prayer. I'm telling you, they've already got permission to do it, and when this team starts doing that as an outreach ministry, they're going to see a different level. It's not going to operate the same as it does in church, so you got to understand that. It's not, sometimes the dove shows up in moments like that. Sometimes you don't always get the Holy Ghost and fire and the shaky hands and the, the jumping around. You know, sometimes it's gentle. Sometimes when you see that, I'll never forget one time I was at Walmart and there was this lady fell and um, I was in Fenton, Missouri at the Walmart and this lady fell and they called 911. But by the time they got there, she fell in the, in the front entrance going into Walmart. So it's between the two doors, you know, there where you get your, uh, some people call them buggies, some people call them carts, whatever you call them. That's where you get that thing that you roll around and put things in. All right, so um, 
So right there in that area, she fell. And before 911 could get there, there must have been 20 Christians gathered around her laying hands on this woman and praying. I want to tell you, that's a, now they're, on, they're about three miles from Joyce Meyer's headquarters. So I think a lot of that, that might have had a lot to do with it. And so when that happened, I'm telling you, by the time the, by the, time the ambulance got there, they just waved them on because they, she didn't need anything else because the body of Christ had already taken care of it. The lady was well. She got up on their feet. They didn't even write it up at Walmart. I saw that firsthand. I mean, that's not a story somebody told me. I was there when that happened, and I witnessed that firsthand. When you start walking in the spirit outside of the holy huddle, you begin to see what they saw on the day of Pentecost. You begin to see your language change. You begin to see your gifts change and God using you. All right, so let's keep moving. All right, um, you know what? I'm going to move on down to, to God's three witnesses. All right, I've got so much to say, and I, I could be here all night, and I don't want to do that. All right, so let's go down to God's witness. Remember, we're talking about perichoresis. All right, so in 1 John chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5 or 6, listen to this. This is he who came by water and blood. So this is talking about Jesus. This is he who came by water and blood. This is talking when Jesus was birthed naturally through Mary. Jesus Christ, not only by water, but also by water and blood. And, and it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. Listen to verse 7. For there are three that bear witness in heaven. All right, that's important. There are three that bear witness in heaven. The Father, the Word, the Holy Spirit. These three are one. Perichoresis. Turn to your neighbor and say perichoresis. All right, so these three are one. This bear witness in heaven. But the Lord said, I'm also giving you three witnesses on the earth. Now, this proves the third Pentecost again, all right? Look at this. I'm also giving you three witnesses on the earth. Keep reading verse 8. And there are three that bear witness on the earth, the, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, for these three agree in one. So get this. In heaven, you got the Father, the, Son, the Word, and the Spirit. On earth, you have the First of all, the water, okay? So what was the water? The water is when we get baptized. That is what we call new birth. How do we get saved? By believing in Jesus. But that is the Mount Sinai baptism, where everything died. That was where the law was given. That's where everything dies and everything comes to life. So that first water witness on the earth represents the work of the Father who did that at Mount Sinai and who is the one who gives us eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But look at the second witness. The second witness is the blood. So the blood comes through the Son because it was the blood of Jesus that saved us, the blood of Jesus that heals us, the blood of Jesus that gives us eternal life. But then he says, there is yet another witness on the earth. There is the moving of the Father in your salvation. There, there's the moving of the Son in your salvation, but then there's also the moving of the Spirit. When God does something, he does things in threes. He does things in the perichoresis dance. It's not over until the glory pulls you into the joy. It's not over until the Holy Spirit pulls you in to the dance of love. Now let me show you another one. Here are the three compartments of the tabernacle, okay? So when you look at the three compartments of the tabernacle, and I'm going to preach a whole sermon on this maybe next week. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to promise, but I've got a sermon the Lord has given me called It's Coming from the Back Room, and, uh, and I don't want to, I, I don't know, know if when I'm going to preach
preach it, but I can't wait because I can preach it in my sleep now. I've thought about it so long. So I want you to see something here. You have the outer entrance. You have three compartments. You have the outer part of the tabernacle. You have the holy place, and you have the most holy place. Now, the outer part is where things die. The outer part is where, is where uh, sins are forgiven. That is, that is where you lay things on the altar. So what you have is you have the, you have the outer court, which represents the, the Pentecost at Mount Sinai. The outer court where the law reveals what sin is, and if you get too close, you're gonna die, okay? So this is where something has to die to pay for sins. That's the outer court. But when you get into the inner court, now you get into, you get into a place of worship. So now we come into a place that would be represented by the tabernacle of David. So now we're into a place where the holy place is where you offer the bread. It's where you offer the, you light the menorah. It's where you offer the, the, the altar of incense. So we've moved from a place of death into a place of glory. Now, I, I mentioned this briefly last week, but I love this illustration so much that I have to do it again. And I might do it over and over and over and over and over. So, you know, just get used to that. Because if you like, sometimes you get, anybody ever eat the same meal twice? Yeah, it's your favorite, right? So this is one of my favorite illustrations. So I may give it over and over and over. So notice that when you move into the holy place, this represents what God is doing through men. So you could say that is the Old Testament outpouring, the outer court. That is what happened in the Old Testament. You had to sacrifice an animal. That is the outpouring of, of Pentecost. So that's the Old Testament. Now we move into what Christ did for us. Now we move into the middle court where that is where the ministers began to minister. Now you move from a room of bronze into a room of gold. Everything in the room is gold. The menorah is gold. The, the, the tables are overlaid with gold. Everything is gold. You have six, you have a table of shoe bread. We have six and six on both sides. It's representing the word of God there. And then you also have the number of men. Why two stacks of six? Six is the number of men, two is the number of Jesus. The only way to get the only way to understand the word, the only way to get to heaven is through Jesus, right? So the word of God is the bread of life. That's why you have two stacks representing mankind. It also represents the salvation of Israel and the salvation of the Gentiles too. So there's a whole lot you can just get from that one table right there. And so it, it has two stacks representing Christ. But then you have this menorah. And what is this menorah? You have this place where this holy oil is poured into this golden candlestick and it's lit on fire. That's the day of Pentecost. So what happened on the day of Pentecost as we were, we were turned into living menorahs. The oil inside of us was pulled up. But here's the part I love about this. And this, it took me years to hear this. I don't even know when I first discovered it, but it would, took me years to understand this. When God told Moses to, to create this holy place inside this middle court where only the priests could go, think about this for a moment. All the walls are gold. All the furniture is gold. They have sacred oil that you can't even touch with human hands. It'll burn you. So there's a curse. You can't put it on people. You have to take this sacred oil and just pour it into the menorah. It's all sacred. And then he says, but God, all these sacred things, all this golden room, how do we set it on fire? And you know what he said? Oh, just twist up an old filthy rag and drop it in there. That's what he said. He said, just tear, tear cloth, 
tear a piece of filthy rag, wad it up, sit it in the oil, and set it on fire. Do you know who that is? That's you. That's me. We don't even belong in this room. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. But here God says, I'm going to use filthy rags. I'm going to dip them in oil, and when I set them on fire, the oil of the Holy Spirit is going to be pulled up through them, and they will become the righteousness of God. They will become filled with the Holy Spirit. And every time you operate in the Holy Spirit, the flame that burns above you is pulling the oil from within you and allowing you to do the work of God. I wish I had the time to tell you about the parable of the water turned into wine because the miracle of that, I'll just give you the, I'll give you the punchline. I don't have time to explain it. The six water pots made of clay, you can figure that out. That's mankind. The water, that's the, that's the, poured it all the way to the brim. But the miracle of the water turned into wine is that the wine did not turn, the, the wine was not in the vessel. It only turned into wine when you pulled it out. Inside the vessel, it was water, but you dipped, here was the miracle, you dip the cup in water, but when you pull it out, it's wine. That's you being saved and being filled with the Holy Spirit. I am saved, I've, got, I've been baptized, I'm full of God. See, it's one thing just to go down and speak in tongues a little bit and say I'm full of the Holy Ghost and never get used I mean, why? Why would you do that? Why would anybody want to do that? No, being spirit-filled is about taking it to the streets. Being spirit-filled is about being bold. Being spirit-filled is about laying hands on somebody, setting the captives free. It's about witnessing. It's about taking the good news. It doesn't really turn into miracle till you pull it out. You let God start using you, you'll see what's inside of you. You think all you can do is speak a few words in another language? No, you've got gifts in you. You've got power in you. You've got anointing in you. And you can only bring that out by using it. It only comes out when you start using it. All right, let's keep going. So let me go to the, I'm, I'm going to do one more and then we're going to go, then we're going to pray. All right, Psalm 24. All right, so in Psalm 24, so everybody say perichoresis. Let me give you a, a, a snapshot of what we just talked about before I go into Psalm 24. All right, so the first thing we talked about is the three flights of Noah's dove. Everybody say perichoresis. The three flights of Noah's dove. We also talked about the former rain, the latter rain, and the, and the spiritual rain in the middle. Everybody say perichoresis. That's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We also talked about the day of Pentecost, Azusa Street, and there has to be one more that's coming, and that is perichoresis. We also talked about Mount Sinai, and on Mount Sinai, you have the wheat harvest, the Mount Sinai, the giving of the, uh, of the Torah, and the day of Pentecost. Again, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, perichoresis. You also have the wind, the fire, and the voices that appeared on Mount Sinai, also appeared on the day of Pentecost, perichoresis. The dance of the Trinity is going on, and then... And and then it goes on. We talked about the three witnesses of God, the water, the blood, and the spirit. There has to be three. Everybody say there has to be three. You can't just have two Pentecost. There has to be three. It's perichoresis. There can't just be two flights of the dove. There were three flights of the dove. It can't just be two. There has to be one more. We have not seen the final one that opens the door and gives us the rainbow. It's still coming. It's still here. And according to Pastor Nico, it's already started in Indonesia and is going from east to west and coming this way. It's already begun. The major 
maidservants are already seeing glory. It's going to go across the Middle East, and the men servants are going to see glory. And before it's over, your sons and your daughters are going to prophesy. I don't care where they are. I don't care what they're doing. I don't care what they call themselves. I don't care how confused they are. That is the promise of God. Your sons and your daughters are going to prophesy the glory of God is coming to invade this earth. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. So here's how we end. Psalm 24. Oh, I love this. I, I, how many of you have ever seen this before? Psalm, Psalm 22 is Calvary. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's Psalm 22. Psalm 23 the, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, all right? So we're waiting on something to happen. No one dies in that valley, by the way. It feels like death, but no one ever dies there. It's just a shadow. That's right, it's the shadow of death, but no one ever dies unless you choose to. So don't choose to die where you're not supposed to die. Amen? Somebody choose to live tonight. Somebody choose joy tonight. Somebody choose, vic just make a choice. I'm not going down like this. It's not, not on my way. It's not happening this way to me. Quit believing the lies of the devil that tells you that this is how your story ends. Say, no, it's not. I plead the blood of Jesus over the Holy Spirit is inside of me. I'm going to end with victory on my side. Hallelujah. So when you get to Psalm 24, there's this announcement because now we're on Mount Zion. So we've made it through the hard times. We've made it to the valley. And then we get to this promise in Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and its fullness. The world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the sea. Okay, I want, I want to point out some things as they go across this. This is a promise to the earth. Everybody say that. It's a promise to the earth. That's how it starts. The earth is the Lord's. Oh, you know what? Let's just shout for a minute right there. Can we just stop there? The earth is the Lord's. It doesn't belong to the government. It belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to left-wing liberals. It belongs to the Lord. It doesn't, it doesn't belong to all the haters. It belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to Russia or China. It doesn't belong to the communists. It belongs to the earth is the Lord's. Oh, and God can move on the earth anytime he wants to. He doesn't need Putin or Biden to tell him he can go. God can move anytime he wants to. The earth is the Lord's. Woo. Well, hallelujah. My goodness, maybe we should just shout on that one a little longer. That's good news, folks. That is good news. The earth is the Lord's and its fullness and the world and those who dwell in it, ooh, what? And everybody that lives in it is God's. <laughs> and those who dwell in it, for he has founded it upon the seas, he established it upon the waters. So now he's talking about how do we get into a spiritual move? How do we get into a spiritual realm that we've never been in before? Who may ascend, I mean, you know that's going up, right? Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully. He, sh he shall receive blessings from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Ah, this next part just wrecks me every time I read it. He's saying that there is a generation, God had an Abraham, Isaac, 
and Jacob generation. Perichoresis. You see that? I'm the God. I'm going to move through three generations. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. The Abraham generation was the altar building generation of the Old Testament. Who was Isaac? The type of Christ who was laid upon the altar and was his father was going to take his life. Isaac is the New Testament. All right. So we have Abraham, the Old Testament. We have Isaac, who was the New Testament. But there's still a Jacob generation. And the Jacob generation got confused. The Jacob generation didn't know if they should go to Abraham's altar or dig out the wells of Isaac. They didn't know what to do. So, so Jacob got confused, deceived a few people because he was deceived himself. He got confused with his own twin brother because he wasn't sure who was the choice. Who was, I mean, he didn't know. He, was, he started out as a wreck because he did not understand. There's a generation out there that is confused, and they don't know if Abraham's still working. They don't know if Isaac is still true. They don't know if the Bible is real, and they don't know if the cross is worth it, and they don't know if heaven really exists, but there's a Jacob generation that when they see the glory, they are going to seek the Lord. There, this is the promise. This is Jacob, the generation who seeks him, who seeks your face and then he put a musical note in there he said say it again this is Jacob the generation who seeks God yes Abraham's had his day and Isaac's had his day but Jacob is coming Jacob generation is coming when they see glory they're going to want more it may not be our sermons that won them it may not be our songs that won them but they're about to get hungry when they see the glory they're going to want more when they see see the wonders. They're going to want more. When they see the miracles, they're going to want more. There is a Jacob generation that is about to turn its hearts to God. So what does he say? He says, lift up your gates. Ha. Lift up your heads. Oh, you gates, be lifted up, you everlasting doors. Why? He didn't say the king of healing was coming in. He didn't say the king of revival is coming in. He didn't say the king. No, he said the king of glory is coming in. He could have said anything he wanted there. He didn't say the king of hallelujah, the king of praise and worship, the king of all night prayer. He didn't say that. He said, when I come for Jacob, I'm bringing glory with me. When I come for Jacob, the king of glory, lift up your heads, oh, ye gates. Be lifted up, you everlasting doors, because glory is coming. Oh, he could have said it once, but it wouldn't have finished the dance if he would have only said it once. Once it was only the first chorus, but then he says it again. Who is the King of Glory? The kid, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads. God repeated it again. So lift up your heads, oh ye gates, be lifted up. Why? Because glory is coming. The King of Glory. This program is brought to you by the partners of Brian Cutshaw and Church Trainer Ministries. Please help us pray that the Lord will continue to send us more partners so we can expand his kingdom around the world.